Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am super excited to share this interview with executive functioning expert and learning coach, Mary D. Scalar. We are talking all about time management. There's so much to cover here. We really dive into what an important skill this is and how it can really impact so many aspects of someone's life. We go into then how to build different executive functioning skills and Mary D. shares why her approach is a little bit different and how she gets started building these skills. If you want to learn more from Mary D., her website is executivefunctioningsuccess.com where you can learn more about her trainings and her program, Seeing My Time. So let's learn about time management with Mary D. Scalar. Hi, Mary D. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am really looking forward to having you share your wealth of executive functioning knowledge with us. This is something I'm super passionate about sharing and talking about, and I'm really excited to focus in on time management skills today. So thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. I'll be very happy to. So let, let's kind of scale back for a second. Let's define time management skills and talk about why is time management such a challenging skills? I mean, even, even for adults, time management is, is difficult, right? Well, there's several reasons why time management is a challenge. First of all, you have to realize it's actually a cultural construct. <laughs> Different cultures True. view time differently, all right? For instance, in the Navajo culture, there isn't really a word for time in the same way that we think about time, which is just one one example that I found fascinating. So there's a cultural construct. And then 
The other problem with time is that it's really an abstract concept. Um, you can't really see or touch time. It's, it's this invisible abstract concept. And some brains seem to be able to internally um, manage that abstract concept in, and track it internally in their heads. But many of us cannot. And when you have a brain that is what I call a floating time brain, um, it's very, very challenging to manage time. And, um, and then the other cultural aspect is that we are in a society and a culture now that um, but our predominant culture is driven by this productivity, time management, um, uh, I was going to say ethic, but yeah, we're supposed to manage everything and be very, very productive. So there's just a lot of forces at play. And then the other th- element that people neglect, and uh, the longer I've been in this work, which is, I don't even know how many years now, I used to say 25 (laughs) years, but that's probably five years ago. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I kind of, I lost time with COVID, but um, (laughs) we all did. But the the other thing that's really become apparent to me, the longer I've worked in this arena, is that we don't acknowledge how our emotional brain impacts our choices connected to using time and productivity. So you've got emotions that are in the way, you have culture that's in the way, you have a lot of stressors to be hyper productive. So all of those things um, cycle together to make time management a real challenge for many people at all different levels from students through adults. And then I wonder if you see this too. I know from my own personal experience, time management becomes challenging for me then when there's all of these competing contingencies of, well, check your email and, you know, there's this over here and I'm trying to multitask. Suddenly any type of productivity seems to go out the window. Yes. You know, it's, um, uh, we have so many plates spinning in the air is how I often view it. Those old vaudevillian TV things that you might've seen on YouTube, people spinning plates in the air. I think in many of us um, feel like we just have a million plates spinning in the air. And one of the clients, one of my adult clients that I worked with recently, um, she, she's a very high, very productive professional. And, and yet, you know, she's here working with me, trying to figure out how to be better with time management. She has ADHD. She's been beating herself up for years for not managing her time very well. And finally, she figured out, she reported in, she goes, you know what, Mary D, what I realized is that I don't, I'm actually very good at man- doing time management. What I'm not good at is managing my expectations for what oh. I can do with the time that I have. That's a whole other piece. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I like that pause. It's like, oh, that's the whole yeah. other piece. And so people think that if they're just more efficient, that time will somehow stretch for them so that they can meet all of their expectations in a given space of time. And yeah. It, and that doesn't work. What, and uh, the program that I created called Seeing My Time, um, one of the truths that I teach in that program is the time does not stretch. We, you know, it, it, we can't do more than the amount of space of time that we have. And, and I hate that truth of time. I want it to stretch. <laughs> I, I, I 
resist the fact that it's not stretchable, but that's the place where we all get stuck is that we're trying to, our expectations are that we can cram more into a finite space of time than is literally possible. Time will not stretch. Yeah. And what, and what implications does that have for our learners when they're struggling with setting those expectations and then following through and managing their time? What kind of struggles can that give in the day-to-day school, you know, school world? Oh, oh in the school world, it's, the word that pops into my mind is deadly. Uh, and not, not in the immediate sense, but, but it's, it's, it's debilitating is probably the better word for this. Um, when you have a brain that has, does not have an internal awareness of the passing of time and you live in a family that doesn't have anyone who has a good executive functioning brain to model for you to set up the external structures so that you can actually get things done, then you're floating and you don't have any way to internally represent time and getting things done. So it creates a lot of anxiety. And a lot of the young people today think that, well, it's all on my phone or it's all on my laptop and um, you know, it's in there somewhere. And yet it doesn't, those tools for the most part don't really help us, exclusively help us be efficient with time because it's this, they're out of sight, out of mind. You know, all those calendars, all those reminders, they're not in front of us all the time. So they disappear out of those floating time brains. And what happens is they start getting behind and they miss deadlines. And then it becomes, you're setting the stage, why it's so debilitating, is you're setting the stage for developing an integrity issue. Because every time you fail at meeting a deadline, turning an assignment on time, uh, a work project that's, that's, you know, that's not done on time, uh, every time you don't show up for an engagement with a friend, um, All of those things are tied to our integrity, our sense of self. And the longer you spend failing at that, not being able to meet the expectations of the people around you in terms of time, um, you you end up with no self-esteem and you Mm. end up doubting yourself. And you then you're stuck in your emotional brain. And your emotional brain is repeating to you over and over again, I'm just not capable. I'm just not capable. I can't be counted on. And I was that person when I was a young person. And all all of my clients who show up are those people, no matter their age. And the hardest thing for them is to have the hope that they can actually change. Because when you're working with adults, they have decades of experience saying they're not competent with time. And even the young, young students very quickly um, develop a sense of, I can't, uh, particularly those kids who many of your, your uh, teachers are working with uh, students who have slow processing speeds. And slow spot processing brains simply cannot operate at the speed level that more typical brains operate at. And the classroom expectations are oriented more for that typical brain speed, um, those folks, oh, they just crumble. And they can be very, very bright, and yet they they cannot keep up. So it's it's it has major ramifications because people give up. They doubt their capability to reach goals, to have dreams, 
to be competent. It really is tied to competency, self-competency. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So do you see that becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy when you know, adults or kids have decided like, oh, I can't, I can't meet these demands. I can't meet these deadlines because I've failed in the past. So I'm not going to even try when I'm facing this new expectation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not that this, it becomes part of their identity and um, they just simply believe that they can't. And you can tell by their language. Often they say, yeah, I, I can't, I never, but I don't. You know, and so they, they literally are stuck in self-doubt. And that's a defensive mechanism because they stop putting themselves out there to even try because they already feel that sense of failure and, and they don't want to hurt. So they don't try and they withdraw. Um, it's, it has major ramifications for moving into adulthood and, and then being a successful adult. So when you approach building these, you know, hugely, vastly important skills, how is the way you approach this skill building process maybe a little bit different from other approaches? I do approach it very differently. And I approach it differently first because of my personal background. Um, I am... Um, a person who struggles with executive functioning skills. I was the child who, you know, my third grade teacher called me to her desk and opened her grade book and showed me the, the page for math and looked at me and said, Mary D, why haven't you turned in all of your math homework? <laughs> you know, and and, and when, when I looked at that line, and I love this teacher, and it wasn't that I didn't know how to do it. I was perfectly capable of doing the problems. Um, and when I tell that story, I instantly am nine years old again, and I kind of feel myself squirm and stare at my shoes and feel embarrassed. And and I look at her and I say, well, um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> because I really, I didn't know. I didn't intend to not do it. I intended to do it, but somehow it didn't happen, and I honestly didn't know. And then, you know, then you're also fast forwarding. I was the high school senior who um, you know, I'd already gone to college, the university between my junior and senior year in high school. And I'd come away with three A's and, you know, real core academic subjects. And, and I was a school leader and I didn't turn in my senior term paper for English. <laughs> and, you know, and it looked like I was lazy. There's a whole bunch of things that go into that story. But in part, it, it wasn't laziness. I had done a tremendous amount of work to do the back, the back end work for it, I had piles of note cards, and I'd spent hours and hours 
uh, accomplishing that. And yet I ran into, excuse me, aspects of my brain that I did not understand, both the time piece, but also the language organization piece. And um, I couldn't figure out how to take all of those random note cards and put them into something new. <laughs> you know, I just, okay. I, that ABC Roman numeral A one, two, three thing that my teacher handed me, it made no sense. And, and I didn't have the capacity to ask for help, which seems so uh, ridiculous to, to <laughs> someone who's not living it because here I was this bright kid, right? Who should be able to just say, Hey, I don't understand this Roman numeral ABC thing. Can you please help me do this? No, because I erroneously thought that I was smart and I had to be able to figure it out. Uh But you can't figure out what you can't figure out because the basis for executive functioning is actually your metacognitive development, your ability to problem solve, your ability to make choices, your ability, um, you know, to think about your own thinking and, and, and your self-awareness. And, and just by virtue of my age, I didn't have that capacity. So your executive functioning is not dependent upon uh, raw intelligence, if you will, uh, your cognitive capacity, it really has to do with brain development, your age, as well as your brain's wiring. Uh, For me, part of my executive skill problems are undoubtedly connected to a serious concussion on the playground when I was a little kid that severely impacted my um, working memory development. So I've always had a lesser amount of working memory. I could never do double digit math problems in my head, for instance. Um, it just d- didn't happen. So when I'm dealing with, with people, um, I come from that point of view of having had the problem. And I, I won't go into the whole story of how I got saved by a speech pathologist. If there's any speech pathologist listening, I, <laughs> you were my favorite people. Um, but I was, I was helped to understand by this woman by the name of Dr. Uh, Ellen Arwood at the University of Portland that it was not an issue of willpower and character, which is what I thought it was. I thought if I was just a better person, if I just had more discipline, if I just, you know, focus wasn't so much the issue, but just discipline, you know, if I just did that, um, I, I would not have these problems. And Ellen helped me understand way, 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 way back when, you know, we're pushing 30 years now, 1994, so whatever that is. And um, she helped me to understand that it wasn't a character flaw, that it was really the way my brain was wired. And so she set me on this path of helping me to understand myself in time. Because I went up to her, I said, Ellen, I... I came, I was doing work with her to help kids learn to read because that's the other part of my life is that I'm an educator and I'm a reading specialist. And as a result, I know how to approach learning from the perspective of a teacher. I know how to teach things in a concrete, multi-sensory, carefully scaffolded fashion so that learning happens. So when it comes time for me to teach time to people, I come from my own personal experience of having these challenges and then ultimately figuring out how to support my brain's weaknesses externally because my internal brain cannot do it. I cannot teach it. It's the way it is wired. So I learned to support it externally. And um, then the program I designed 
is was my result of figuring out how to teach people what I'd learned about time, the abstract quality of time, and the spatial aspect of time that it doesn't stretch. So then I did all this. I did about 15 years of research around my dining room table accidentally, <laughs> teaching people <laughs> who showed up. Um, what I learned, and I was primarily helping kids who were middle school kids who suddenly, bright middle school kids who were not being able to manage the, the new demands of um, middle school. And so I designed the workbook, this program I called Teaching Seeing My Time, or Seeing My Time. And um, I never intended to market it or sell it or anything like that. I was just helping the people who showed up on my doorstep, and, and I didn't advertise for 15 years. Um, <laughs> and so the workbook is a very unique product because most people don't approach it from that perspective. They approach it from either having a time brain that already does it, you know, and it's like the people who already just naturally do it, they don't understand the rest of us at all. <laughs> just do it my way, work, you know. Well, lovely. If I could do it their way, I would. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, I can't. And, um, and neither can my clients. So, um, you know, we go from that perspective of, of how do I help people understand themselves and their brains? Because originally I just devised the program and I didn't really understand the brain much at all at that point in time. Uh, not The brain wasn't being talked about back then in the same way that it is now. And in fact, executive functioning, um, the term wasn't even talked about. I didn't even know what I was doing. And it was the neuropsychs in my community um, and actually a behavioral pediatrician who helped me begin to understand that what I had created was something that supported um, what we now call executive functions. And they were just beginning to use that terminology. In fact, one of the, uh, I was, had sent me a client and in the, uh, sent me their report also, the neuropsych report, and in the um, comments at the end about uh, recommendations, they said, oh, we're so lucky to have Mary D. Scalar in our community. She's an expert at teaching executive functioning skills. And I read that and I went, I am? <laughs> what, what are these I never, I never heard them. You know, I never read about it. And it, it wasn't in the popular vernacular at that point in time. Uh, it was just beginning to creep into the schools, you know, through the neuropsych reports. It was barely beginning to happen. And so I went on this quest. I, I'm a learner. That's one of my brain strengths. I love to learn. I'm always learning. And I found this workshop in, through the Association of Educational Therapists in uh, Oakland on the topic of executive function because I Googled it when I, when I, <laughs> back then when, when I found out you were an expert of it. <laughs> You know, I'm an expert. What the heck am I an expert at? You know? And so when I Googled it, I literally got one hit, wow. one hit, one response. And this was somewhere around nine, uh, 2009, 2010. It was before, it was actually about yeah, 2008, 2009, because I published Seeing My Time in 2010. And I had learned that phrase prior to the publication of that. So this is around 2008. And, um, and so I, I spent this workshop in Oakland with this neuropsych um, educational therapist, and he was talking about this executive functioning issue. And one of the ed therapists raised her hand as he got, you know, three quarters of the way through his presentation. She goes, "Well, this is all fine and lovely, but how you teach it?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and I was 
sitting there with my prototype workbook book in my lap, and um, and I was thinking, I know how to teach some of this. Yeah. And um, so I went up to um, stood in line to talk to the professor after it was over because I knew that seeing my time worked for me, but I wasn't sure if it could work for anybody else because. I had this unique skill set. You know, I'm a reading specialist. I, I, I've done a lot of, I worked with math, all kinds of educational stuff. And I have this brain that figured out how to solve the problems. Um, but I wasn't sure if I would help anybody else. So I stood in line to talk to him. And when it came my turn, I asked him this question. I said, well, so does teaching this, does executive functioning all just boil down to metacognition? And he looked at me and he said, yes. <laughs> and he said, nothing else. <laughs> when, when, have you asked, when have you asked a professor a question and gotten a one word answer? You know? and, and, um, and then I realized that it would work because, because of the way I had scaffolded it. Because the whole thing is laid out to develop self-awareness and understanding of yourself, your brain, and time, how those three things work together, your emotions work together. So that set me down the journey of then discovering much more about the brain and um, learning along the way that what I designed inadvertently was just, just good teaching. It's solid pedagogy, but it also perfectly aligns with brain development and brain and brain science yeah. you know, because it's just works. And um, so that's what's different is that I don't start First of all, I have a structured approach, and and it's 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 a scaffolded approach. And then the other thing that I do that I learned over time, which most people don't understand, is I don't start with the strategies, because everybody goes, oh, here, use the planner, use a timer, make a checklist, use a calendar. Those are all fundamentally accepted supports for executive functioning. But if you go up to someone who has had a history of failure with executive functioning and you just say, here, use this planner, you get arms thrown up, you get resistance. They're like, I've tried that. It doesn't work. My brain doesn't do this. And uh, in fact, the thing that I have this young, uh, remarkable young person uh, with ADHD, and when the first day she showed up, she really was terrified because she re- they really wanted to be able to uh, have a life and reach goals, but they really felt like they couldn't because of their history. Mm. They just couldn't. And then they had done so much research on ADHD brains that she had decided that, well, you know, I can't because I have ADHD, you know, it doesn't, you know, that precludes the possibility of my ever becoming very efficient at this, which is not true. But um, it's so interesting because I had to get around all of her emotions to get to that place of saying, there's some hope here. So I, but I don't start with the, just, we've seen each other, longer than I see most people, they are a very complicated person, um, that we're just getting around to looking at calendars and pieces of paper that have lines on them with time (laughs) because they freaked out when they saw it. So I didn't even do that 
And, and so at the beginning, I had to deal with all this emotional language and, and uh, self-image of the fact that, I, that they consider themselves incompetent and incapable with a brain that's unmanageable. And so I have to go in there and I'm you know, little by little stretching the threads you know, so they, yeah. they can see that there's possibilities. And it's happening. They are an extreme case. Um, most people are not quite that complicated. But then by the um, so time you get to the strategies too, sorry to interrupt that you, I'm imagining that then you are much more easily able to get the buy-in, which I know so oh, many yeah. teachers and parents are like, I can't get buy-in. But if you're, if you're, you know, yeah. giving exposure to something that they're not open to, of course you're not going to buy in. Yeah, you can't, you can't, they will shut down. So it's a dance of, so I start with the brain. So the program starts with the brain, starts with behavior, and I teach them about executive functions. Um, and I happen to use the uh, the model that Peg Dawson and Richard Guare put forth because it's it's the most uh, I like it because it's complicated enough, but not too complicated. And uh, it, I I take the blame away from them that character flaw, that integrity issue that they're feeling. Um, I take it away and I place the brain blame on their brain. And when I work, I will not, when I work with students, I never work with students without parents. It's just my rule. Because the parents need to understand their child's brain development also in order to have realistic expectations and to be able to support their young person's maturing brain and to be supportive. So it's, it's, it's actually a very dynamic program. Uh, that's another thing that I do differently is I don't just teach kids. You can teach this in schools and schools do. Te- people do teach seeing my time and use it as a curriculum in schools. Um, but then I'm always concerned that parents need to be involved. So that's why I wrote a book, actually. I wrote a book called 50 Tips to Help Students Succeed, specifically for parents when schools started using seeing my time in the classroom, because I, I know I, that parents have to understand they are a critical part of the picture. Just as educators, I teach educators also, uh, have programs for teachers. So it's it's a really, it needs to be a three-pronged approach. And the, the student or the adult client, whomever, the, the time-challenged person has to be supported by the people around them. Um, and in a school setting, it's the teachers as well as the parents. So everybody That's has to be. so powerful yeah. then, I would imagine, for that student or that child to be getting that same messaging from home, from school, and again, like taking that that blame and that heaviness away while someone's also having yeah. realistic expectations and having those supports in place because it's it all has to go together. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's easier said than done because parents can often have, to- and schools can have just ridiculous expectations. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. And, and, and letting go um, you know, parents are so afraid of their children not being able to grow up and be successful, and they want them to meet these fancy deadlines. And some kids in some of the prep school settings, oh my God, it's just you know ridiculous what's being asked of them. And um, and so they they want them to succeed, but they're putting so much pressure on them, and they want them to like, okay, you've got this tool, this tool, this tool, this tool. You know, let's go use it. It's like the, the, the young person I was talking about earlier who was afraid of the lines, right? Handing them a piece of paper with the lines. The mother is probably one of the most uh, efficient executive functioning machines I've ever met. Okay? <laughs> and uh, and uh, they have a good relationship, but mother has been doing for everything for this young person. This person is 19 years old. And so mother has been doing it all. 
And now she suddenly wants her to go off to college and be an adult. Well, this young person doesn't have any of the skill sets to go off and be independent. And mom is freaking out about it. So she wants this intense session to fix this yeah. <laughs> you know, overnight. And that's why we're spending a lot more hours. But um, so we did a, we talked about creating a day sheet. This was kind of a cute, cute, funny, tragic story. Uh, I help them talk about how you make a plan for the day. And I tell them to sort of play with it a little bit because see, they're afraid of it. They're afraid of a piece of paper. They're afraid of making a to-do list because if they don't do it all, then they're a failure. So you have to teach them how to play with it, only put down one or two things, celebrate every time you do something that, you know, that you don't want to do. Yay, yay. We party all the time around here. I do happy dances. I have adults and kids happy dancing every time they do some make a choice that is getting control of their emotional brain and making a choice that's difficult or hard for them. They have to celebrate. And so you have to build in, you're literally rewiring their brain into saying, I can instead of I can't. So anyway, I, we send, I get around to talking about tools and, and talking about the day plan and what you would put on it. And so uh, mom and her enthusiasm comes up and decides, well, we need to have enough day plans. This was in like early November. Uh, we, we don't have a planner for 2023. So I will, I will help my, my young, my young person here by printing off enough day sheets for the rest of the year. So she comes up with a pile of day sheets equivalent of a month and a half and puts this pile in front of her young person and says, here, these are for you to use for the end of the year. Well, that person, the young person just freaked out yeah. <laughs> you know, because it was a huge pile and, and all they could see was failure. Yeah. All they could see was, and mom was trying so hard to be helpful, you know? And so it's, it's learned. Yeah. It's been a really interesting dance with the two of them, but it's very, very powerful when you make these changes, both on, if any of your people listening have uh, work in small group therapy or individual client therapy with families, it's so powerful. I'm 69 years old and I could be retired. <laughs> I could be, but I don't want to be because I have so much fun watching people change because you're giving them a life skill that they've been missing. And when you work with families, um, you change the dynamics dramatically because there's so much conflict when you have a family member that's not meeting expectations, whatever they may be. And um, so it's really quite powerful. So it's just critical. It's a life skill. And these things can be taught if you know how to teach them. They, they don't have future thinking. They, they can't reach goals. They, you have to make everything concrete and visible and multisensory. You literally have to show them how time is a puzzle. We use flags and stickers and <laughs> all kinds of things to make it approachable and not overwhelming. I love your passion for this. It's like, I'm like, yes, I want to like clap. Um, I love the example about that, <laughs> that mom and that child because you, that also really to me shows how different strategies work for different people. Cause for that mom, she was like, oh, this, this is what I would need, but that's not necessarily yes. what, what her child needed, which is, highlights that too, that it's not a one size fits all. Like here's the planner you need. No. And, and that, that just can't yes. be that way. No, and you have to tweak things and you have to build them and you can't in, you can't just spin on a dime and become an executive functioning master. Like 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 this this young person I remember talking about, she looks at me and she goes, I want to be you. You know, I want to do what you do. And I was like, honey, 
you're, I spent years getting here. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can't just teleport to this, you know. Um, and so you have to put in the work. And because yeah. metacognition, executive functioning, requires effort. It is purposeful actions. They're not automatic. They can become automatic when you have figured out how to quiet your emotional brain so it's not saying, I don't want to, I don't want to all the time. So when you, know, when you get around to quieting that brain and you just then you just do what you have to do, then life is so much easier. But they have to get past, you have to get past the I don't want to, I don't want to, I can't, I can't, I don't, I don't, I never, I never. You have to get that voice stilled and quiet before people can relatively effortlessly manage themselves in time. That's what I can do now, but I did not do that overnight. And that's, and that's a process and that's okay. I mean, you know, that's good work or good things come from, from hard work sometimes and that's okay. Yes. And the thing to know when I think about teachers and parents too, is that, you know, we have to remember that the brain development for executive functioning skills, the maturity Full maturity is somewhere, be, depending upon the individual, between the ages of 25 and your early 30s. Okay, there's a whole range. And you have to realize that when it, it, it's teachable, it can be supported and should be. It's the missing curriculum component in education. I do a program called The Missing Link on Executive Functioning. That we, we're, we're not supporting our students adequately, nor our teachers adequately, by not explaining in a concrete, multisensory fashion how to teach this time and these skills, but to realize they have to be continuously taught at the brain development level each year that a student is in school. Because you don't just learn it and master it and then transfer it to the next challenge that you face. They can't. They will be successful at this fourth grade teacher's expectations, but when they hit the fifth grade teacher's expectations, they will not necessarily transfer those strategies to this new teacher situation. And that's because of metacognitive development and problem solving. So you have to teach it over and over again, adjusting to the circumstances and the new expectations. And ideally, you're using the same kind of language. You're referring back to your previous strategies. How did you problem solve? Now, this is what we need to do. But it has to be taught. It has to be shown. Um, yeah. It's not something you just sort of wishfully solve. Uh, by, no magic wands. <laughs> Yeah, I actually have a magic wand, and that's how I start my sessions, is I show people my magic wand, and I tell them it's beautiful, it's wonderful. One of my students made it for me, but it's not magic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't, can't tap them on the shoulder and have them be masterful masters of executive functioning overnight. Well, if you invent that, though, that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you that. I said, oh, if I could, oh my God, yeah. I would run around tapping people on the shoulders you know because there's a tremendous amount of pain connected to this i mean we started earlier about what are the what you know what what are the implications of this it's it's incredibly negative because people are shutting down there's so much pain so often when i work with with adults and and so particularly so processors but other adults it's like they'll sit here and cry they'll cry for the for hours because they're they they have such pain connected to their years of failing 
at executive functioning. Mm. So you have to get past all that emotion before it's cleared out. And then you give it to them in tiny, tiny, tiny pieces so that they start to feel success. Because if you give it to them in too big of a lump, they, they shut down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This has been so great. Thank you so much. You, I, I, a lot, like I said, I love your enthusiasm for this, but I think that you can, you explain this in a really approachable way and it, and it makes sense. You know, this, this tie back to anxiety and integrity and self-esteem and really why these are so hugely important at every single grade level. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your knowledge and your, your own experiences as well. Where can people go to learn more from you and from about your program? Okay, you can go to executivefunctioningsuccess.com. Great. I know it's a terrible thing to write down. It's a long letter, but you can spell it. <laughs> you we type will... Mary D. Sklar there too, because we have programs for um, teachers, uh, a very highly rated and enjoyed program for teachers called Building Executive Functioning Skills in the Classroom. It's everything I wished I had known when I went into a classroom. Um, talking about the brain and learning and executive functioning. And then we have a course called Teaching Seeing My Time, which teaches people to teach the, the curriculum that, that uh, I created. It has an instructor's manual that goes with it. And it's also been very successful. People, people who sign up for that course always think that they're, going, they're doing it for someone else. And by week two, they're going, oh, my gosh, I'm learning so much about myself and my family. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. And then we also do private uh, one-on-one sessions uh, by distance as well as locally in Portland. Great. Well, I will add those links to our show notes so people can get them easily. And thank you again so much for joining me. Thank you. And I want to pay tribute to all the educators that uh, and therapists who listen to your program and to the parents also. And to know that I respect all of you for working very, very hard in a world of helping uh, young people and older people m- manage themselves through life because we it's, we all need to work together. We all have to help each other. So thank you for doing that. Yes. Awesome. Thanks, Mary D. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.